Welcome to the New Beginning Fellowship Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you are listening to the teaching of the Word of the Lord. We pray that this message encourages you and builds your faith. We also pray that this message is only supplemental to your spiritual growth instead of being a replacement for daily personal Bible study, the pastor you should be submitted to, or the church God would have you to be an active member of. If you live within driving distance of Brobridge, Louisiana, we hope that you would come to visit us during one of our services on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Service times, ministry information, and giving options are all located on our website at newbeginningfc.com or on our Facebook page at New Beginning Fellowship Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I ministered much of the same things out of this passage on Wednesday night as I was studying the Word and seeking the Lord. I just shared this with the people, but there is more that's in my heart this morning. So I ask you to give your heart to this Word. I believe the Lord is speaking something to our hearts, dealing with our hearts. I know that He's dealt with mine. He's ministered to me. It is a weighty word, but I believe that the Lord would speak good things to us through it. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 to 13. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am undone, or I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go. And say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and forsake and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. 
And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. I want to focus this morning on verses 8 to 13. But mainly, you can see the point in verses 8, 9, and 10. Where he says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. We put this on the back of t-shirts and give it to our youth. And send them off wearing it as a happy-go-lucky thing. You've made a commitment to go for Jesus. And all the times that I've heard this text preached, I've almost always heard it preached through verse 8 and then it stops because the rest of it is uncomfortable and we don't know what to do with it. And I tell you, we've missed the entire point. We've missed the point. He says, who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go. go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept your responsibility. You've accepted the commission. I'm going to send you. Go. And say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Do you understand why we don't quote the rest of the verse on the t-shirt? Do you understand why this is not the part that gets monologued onto coffee cups? Right? Go, amen, caffeine, and do a miserable thing. Yay! Your inspirational quote of the day. We don't like that part. But leaving it out does not prepare our hearts to be faithful. It doesn't prepare us for radical obedience. It turns God into a genie who makes promises and gives us purposes but with easy tasks and easy responsibilities that cost nothing. And it ends with many people being disappointed and hurt and feeling that they were sold a bill of goods. And I say to you, this is the point of this experience, that God was dealing with the heart of Isaiah. And for five chapters, Isaiah has been preaching judgment against the people of Israel. And he's telling them all of their religion they've made about themselves. They go to the temple, they make sacrifices, they sing songs, they do alms, they, they pray, they do worship, they do all of the religious activity. And yet he tells them over and over again, but God is not pleased, your heart is not right, you have turned this religion into something about you, and it was never about you. And you're sinning. And I've got to deal with your heart. It's about the Lord. But now the Lord is going to show Isaiah, not only is it not about them, but it's not about you. This is not something you get to do to be a religious figure that makes you popular or happy or you somehow serve yourself through this. Is this not the epitome of false religion? Where Paul warns in 1 Timothy of those who preach and minister and teach or are involved in the work of the Lord, but they imagine that godliness is a means of gain. That God is simply a stepping stone to get what they want. And God says, I am the ends, not the means. I am not a stepping stone to get what you want. I should be the goal. I should be the prize. Serving me is your reward. 
And as much as we think that this is not in us, when the Lord tears back the layers, it is in us all. And this morning I thought, how many people must have been driving by me and think, who is this lunatic that's driving down the road? Someone should call the 911 and get them to stop the car. Because as I've studied this and read this morning, as I was on the way here, all I could do is weep and say, it is about me. In a thousand ways that I could never perceive, except the Holy Ghost, tear open the veil of this heart and shine in with the light of the Holy Ghost, I would never know that it is more about me than I ever dreamed that it was. And Christ must deal with this heart. He must remove the idol of self from the throne of my heart and place himself there. And this morning I say to you, the Lord wants to say to you this, that we need to see the Lord and go for Him. See the Lord and go for Him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I ask You that You would open our eyes to see and You would open our ears to hear. You would be just in Your judgment to say to those who have heard over and over again as You did here, let them hear and not understand. You would be just to say, let the heart of this people become dull, but in Your mercy, would You make us tender? In Your mercy, would You say to the lukewarm, be hot or cold? In Your mercy, would You say to the failing candle who has lost its oil, I will refill you again? Will You say to the wayward heart, I'm calling you home. God Almighty, deal with our hearts and teach us Your ways that we may walk in them. We love You, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. See the Lord and go for Him. He starts this passage in verse 1 and he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Some believe that Uzziah was his uncle that he was somewhat related to this royal family. But in the very least, King Uzziah, toward the end of his life, was a more godly man and followed the word of the Lord and walked with God. And he didn't destroy all of the idols in the high places, but he did know the Lord. And he was favorable to faithful worship to Jehovah. And surely, like all of us do, Isaiah probably put his hope and his faith in this faithful king. Oh, we've, maybe the people are against us. Maybe a large amount of the people don't like my message. But at least there is a king who is favorable to me and will protect me and will help me lead the people into righteousness. And he dies. And Israel is turned on its ear and it begins to waver and go further away from the Lord. And Isaiah is despondent and discouraged in seeing this earthly representation of hope in his life diminished and gone. And this good king was finite. And limited. And this earthly king was incapable of ruling perfectly and making things the way that they ought to be. And in a season where he had lost hope in the kings of men, the Lord shows him that he is king of heaven. And he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, 
and seated on his throne. He was ruling and reigning with all of the circumstances of this world going sideways. There was still a king in heaven who had not surrendered his authority. The sovereign Lord sat enthroned in power and majesty and would not surrender it in the slightest. He says he was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. The the manifest glory of God was overwhelming Isaiah's senses. He was humbled and brought low in the presence of the mighty and exalted God. And it says in verse 2, And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And so they're majestic and holy and these incredible heavenly creatures that are humbled before the Lord. They're hiding their face and hiding their feet and flying in the presence of the Lord. And it says, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty or the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah got a peek into the heavenly courtroom to see the heavenly throne room, to see the worship of God by the angelic beings in heaven. And he sees their worship and their praise and their adoration of God. And he's high and lifted up and he's holy, holy, holy. He's completely different than all other things. He is other. He is different. He is not like we are. That is the essence of what it means for something to be holy. It is that it is set aside. It is different. It is unique. It is not like the other. It is not common. And the angels cry of Him, He is holy, holy, holy. He's holy. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of His glory. He rules over all creation. And it says in verse 4, And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. God allowed this man to have the vision of God in a way that overwhelmed his senses and humbled him. That's the point. That this man suddenly sees God in a way that he had never seen him before. He was overwhelmed with the glory of God. As a person who can be blind... And have a million people describe to them the ocean and tell them what it looks like for the waves and the wind and the fish and the infinite horizon and the sky and the sun setting over the water. And you can imagine and you can try and never truly see it. And then suddenly to have sight and vision and someone to open your eyes and you can see it all and the glory of it overwhelms you. And he had been preaching the Lord. He had been preaching the goodness of God. He had been preaching the holiness of the Lord. And suddenly the Lord says, I will remove the veil and allow you to see it in a way that will overwhelm your senses. And you will see me as you've never seen me before. And it had the intended effect. Verse 1 through 4 is Isaiah seeing the Lord. In the next three verses, Isaiah sees himself. Amen. Isaiah sees himself. He says in verse 5, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost or undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's brought low. Not only does he see how high and exalted God is, he sees how low he is. He sees how infinite God is and how finite he is. He sees how majestic God is and how inglorious 
he is he is small and insignificant and not only that but he is unclean in the presence of the holy king and he cries out for mercy it says then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said behold this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for god was showing him i'll have mercy on you i'll reconcile you to God. I'll forgive your sins. A picture of the cross. Amen? Right? The altar where the lamb was slain and the blood was poured out and the altar, the burning coal of God's wrath put to his lips, purged with blood and made him clean. And his sin was atoned for. As Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up and he sees himself abased and forgiven and redeemed by grace, Now God is ready to deal with his heart. Amen? Now God is ready to deal with his task and his commission. Are you ready, Isaiah? Have you seen yourself? Have you seen me? Now I can prepare you for the work that you were to do. Verses 1 to 4, Isaiah sees the Lord. Verses 5 to 7, Isaiah sees himself. And in verse 8 to 13, Isaiah sees the weight of his commission. He sees the weight of his commission. Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. You are worthy of my faith. You are worthy of my obedience. You have a task to be done, O great King, in your kingdom, and you want me to be an ambassador, and you're looking for someone who will say, here is my life, take it, and do with it what you wish. And he said, here's my life. Here's a blank check, and do with it whatever you please, and send me wherever you want me to go, and tell me to do whatever you want me to do. I am your servant, and all I can do is say, I'm yours. Do with me what you please. Send me. That is not the end. God and Isaiah don't ride off into a beautiful sunset to go have wonderful picnics and talk about theology. Not a romantic end. This isn't when Harry met Sally. This is when the holy God made a lowly creature. God is preparing his heart. Hey, you want me to send you? I'll send you. But can I tell you this? And I wish for you to hear me. And this is the main point this morning. God never pulls punches with what it will cost to do His will. Jesus was very plain with people. And some would say that He turned people away in a mean and unfair way. I want to follow you, Jesus. But please listen. I need to first go and bury my daddy, the man that raised me and taught me and fed me and clothed me. And he took care of me. And I want to give him one last honor, Jesus. And then I will give you all honor of my life. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. Jesus, I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. And I'll go everywhere you want me to go. And I'll do anything you want me to go. I'm ready to be your disciple. Are you sure? Foxes have holes. Birds of the air at least have nests out of sticks. They make it out of sticks and grass, but they have a nest. Foxes have holes. 
But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you want to follow me, you have to be willing for this world to not be your home anymore. You have to be a stranger here. You have to be a pilgrim in a strange land. Do you really want to come? Jesus, I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth. Go and sell all that you have. Come and be my disciple. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Paul or Saul on the road to Damascus hating Jesus, despising the way. And Jesus shows up and reveals to him his glory and overwhelms him. And he's humbled and terrified. He says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he tells him, you're going to go and you're going to preach my name and you must suffer many things. This is not a good first date, Jesus. You introduced yourself to me, and then you say, you're going to be miserable for me at many times. This is not proper etiquette. This is not polite. Warm me up a little bit. Slow me into it. Ease me in. Turn the heat up slowly and let me get used to it. If you're going to be my disciple, it's all or nothing. Can I tell you why? Because God believes that He is worth it. And He is not ashamed of that. He is not ashamed that He is worthy of it all. And we would be bashful to talk about Him him the way that He talks about Himself. We would be embarrassed and we're afraid. And we want to warm people up slowly and dress Jesus up in lots of trinkets and fun and cool things. And say, here, isn't He attractive? Isn't he cool? Isn't he entertaining? Isn't he wonderful? And he says, raw, and with nothing else added, I am worthy of all of your obedience. And he tells Isaiah, you want to go? You want to preach? You want to do my work? It will not always be easy. It will not always be fun. It will not always be convenient. Can I tell you, we live in the generation that is the easiest ever to be a Christian. The easiest ever. Persecution is at a minimal. Right? Even the poor Christians have more than enough. Right? We live in an age of opulence, comfort, and ease. And yet, God is always so good, even in our culture, even in our society, of finding a way to work the cross into your life. And to test your flesh and find out what you really are. He can find out what you are. He can find out, do you believe me? Am I really worthy of it all? I tell you, he can do it. And so he says to him, you want to go for me? Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is the judgment of the Lord that we frequently see when people reject truth that God judges them with a hardness of heart. Right? This is often what we see. 
You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you because you know it so well. I'm sure that you do if you're good students of the Word of God. Where the Word tells us in Romans chapter 1. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They don't want it. They reject it. It says, For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God says, I'll give you light, I'll give you truth, I'll expose your heart to the reality of God. And when you reject it, His judgment is to harden your heart so that now you cannot believe. Does not Thessalonians warn that in that day God will send a strong delusion? What? The God that is willing that no man should perish, the God that loves sinners, the God that wants people to be saved, He yearns for them. He weeps for them. Jesus who stands outside of Jerusalem and wails and cries and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks, but you have killed the prophets and you reject the truth. That same Jesus judges the hearts of men. And says, you will reject my truth, then I will turn your heart so hard you can't receive it. But that's what it says in the previous chapter. In verse 24, it says, For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. And God says, I'm letting you know, Isaiah, these people have rejected my word over and over again. And you're going to continue to preach to them in a way that will draw a line in the sand and either they'll repent and be saved or they'll be hardened. Right? What's the old saying? The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Right? The truth of God. The heart that is broken and contrite and is willing to believe the Gospel. The light of God's Word shines upon it and it melts. And that same Word shines upon a heart that is full of unbelief and pride and vanity and self-love and it hardens and stiffens. And Isaiah asks the obvious question. The question that you would ask. That's, that's what you want me to do? You want me to go and serve and be miserable and do this awful thing? Wonderful. How long? How long? I'm willing. I love you. I want to be faithful. How long is this going to happen? And then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and land is a desolate waste. If you know the history of Israel, you know that all through Isaiah's ministry, the people rejected him and rejected his word. The people mocked him and refused to hear what he said. It says this in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9 through 11. Or 8 through 11. God says, And now go write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, chilling un- children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions. Listen to this, leave the way. 
turn aside from the path. Let us no more hear about the Holy One of Israel. You're wearing us out with your preaching. You're wearing us out with your righteousness. You're wearing us out with this message. You're telling us about God and you're telling us about judgment and you're telling us about reconciliation and we don't want it. And God is preparing him for the difficulty of service to God in difficult times. God's preparing his heart. And this is the point that God never sent him for them. He didn't say who will go for them. He didn't say to them, who will go for these people? Who will go for sinners? Who will go for the rebellious? He says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who will go for God? Who will go and proclaim our message and do our bidding? And this is the point. Isaiah, it was never about them and it was never about you. It was always about me getting glory for myself and you being my humble servant. Are you willing to go for me? Are you willing to do what I've called you to do and pay the price? That's the point. And I'm not telling you that serving the Lord is all misery and pain and awfulness and just trying to make it sound like an awful thing. This morning, somebody asked me how long I've been saved, and it just it opened the floodgates of my heart. I said, 15 years, and I began to be filled with joy and gratitude. And I can't believe that for 15 years I've got to walk with this God, and I've seen every promise the Lord gave me came to pass. I've seen the mercies of the Lord a million times. He's renewed me and strengthened me and encouraged me and He's done infinitely more good for me than I could ever tell you about. I have forgotten more of the mercies of God than I could stand here and tell you about because His mercies are new every morning and we inscribe our pains and our troubles in stone and we inscribe our testimonies in the goodness of the Lord in sand and we forget them so quickly but God knows our hearts that we will forget all the good and all the glory and all of the blessedness and we will dwell and minister and be mindful of the pain and the misery and God is equipping the heart of this man to be faithful in awful times. And that's what I'm saying to you this morning that the Christian life and the life following God is filled with more glory than you could ever imagine. Surely the Lord is reminding him. He says the earth is full of His glory. You may not always have eyes to see it and you may always feel, you may sometimes feel like it's miserable and awful, but the Lord's glory is there and it is beautiful and holy and wonderful. But there will be days that you forget. And there will be days that it's hard to remember the faithfulness of the Lord. And you need to see me in a new way so that you can remain faithful under trial. So that you can endure. So that you can say with Paul, with joy, what he said to Timothy. And he said, even now my life is being poured out as a drink offering on the altar. 
And there was no stinginess in the heart of Paul. There was no frustration with God. Lord, I've written you a blank check with my life. I've given you all of my life. I've rendered my body as a vessel unto God for His holy service. And it feels like you're pouring my life out in a waste. Everywhere that I go, there's pain and misery and and persecution and struggle and difficulty. And do you not love me? He doesn't feel that way. With joy, he says, my life's being poured out. Because he's worthy. Because he's worthy of every last drop. Amen? He's worthy of every last drop. But if you don't remember that it's about the Lord, then you will grow weary in doing good. Because humanism has crept into the church. And the theory of humanism is that the end of all things is the happiness of man. And we've turned Christianity into Christianity. The purpose of it all is the happiness of man. And 200 years ago, liberalism turned Christianity into the happiness of man on the earth. And it said, we don't know about the deity of Jesus. We don't know about the resurrection or eternal life or heaven or any of that jazz. But hey, religion makes a man feel good here. And so we'll talk about poems and and beautiful ideas and the, the illustrative pictures that Scripture give us. And we'll talk about it in poetic ways. But it's really only good for that. And we don't know what happens with you when you die. And we don't know if there's really a God in heaven. And we don't know if Jesus is His Son. But we'll make you happy here. And then fundamentalism came along and said, we believe in the birth... The, virgin birth of Jesus Christ. We believe in heaven. We believe in hell. We believe in the personal God. We believe His creation. We believe His redemption. We believe in Him. But then we've turned it into, well, Jesus is the way that you get to heaven. Why would you want to go to that awful burning place of hell when you can go to heaven and you can be forgiven and you can have an eternity of joy? And still, it is all about people. Everything of heaven is all about God. And it's not about you and your pleasure. It is about the Lord. And is there pleasure there? Yes. At His right hands are pleasures forevermore. But as a byproduct and not a prime product. The end of Christianity is not the happiness of man, but the glory of God. How many of you have ever heard of Paris Reed Head and Ten Shekels in a Shirt? Have you ever heard of that sermon? Do you know that? The best sermon I've ever heard. I've listened to it over and over and over again, and every time it breaks me into a thousand pieces. And he talks about this view of Christianity in the light of humanism and how it's crept into the church. It's probably a 70-year-old sermon. And he says this. He talks about it in his own life. And he says when he went to Africa to be a missionary and to go and tell people about Jesus, he said, really, what I went to do was to go and prove upon the justice of God because I didn't want those poor, ignorant heathen who had never heard about Jesus and never heard about the gospel to go to that awful burning place of hell. He said, I've seen the pictures of the ulcers and the lepers and the starving people and those who are so deprived and they've had so much suffering in this life that I would hate for them to die and then suffer eternally in the judgment of God. And so really I went to improve upon the justice of God. 
And he said, I got there thinking about these poor, ignorant heathen, and I began to preach to them the gospel and the the righteousness of God and eternity and forgiveness and salvation. And he found out that they weren't these poor, ignorant heathen. He said they knew far more about God, far more about righteousness, far more about heaven, and far more about forgiveness than he ever imagined. And he found out they knew about God and they didn't want Him. And they didn't want to be forgiven of sin. They loved their sin and they wanted to stay in it. And he said, I became so angry with God. One day in prayer, I got real honest with the Lord and said, it is a mighty small thing you've done to send me here to these people. Because I came to save them and they don't want to be saved. He said, the Lord began to speak to his heart. And he said, it's true, they're monsters of iniquity. And they're not going to hell because they've never heard the gospel. They're going to go to hell because they're sinners deserving of my judgment. But I love them. And I didn't send you there for them. I sent you there for me. Am I not worthy of those for whom I died? Have I not paid an awful price for them? Do I not deserve to have their souls forever? Do I not deserve the right to be merciful to whom I will have mercy? And he said, began, the Lord began to deal with it all. All of the pride, all of the vanity, all of the making it about them and making it about himself. And after that, he talked about the Moravian missionary movement. I don't know if you know about the Moravians, but... Moravians began a missionary movement that went all over the world. And there were two young men who heard about an island that had full of slaves. And the owner of that island was a atheist and he hated God, didn't want anything to do with God. And he said, no preacher, no evangelist will ever come here. No one's ever going to tell me or my slaves about God. He had hundreds of slaves. And these two young Moravians heard about it. And said, they've got to hear about Jesus. And so they sold themselves into slavery. A lifetime of slavery. The man wouldn't even pay for their tickets to get there. They had to buy their own tickets to get to that island to become slaves. So that they could go and tell people about Jesus. And as they got on board the ship, and they're getting ready to cast off, Their families weeping and church family, many of them didn't understand how they could make a commitment like this to die alone with none of their family by their side, to live on an island, to be a slave, be abused, be treated harshly, just so that they could go tell people about Jesus. And as they're pushing off and getting ready to leave, they link arms together and raise their hands and they cried out, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward. Of his sufferings. May the lamb that was slain. Receive the reward. Of his sufferings. He died for those sinners. And they don't deserve to be saved. But he wills to save them. Not because they deserve it. But because he loves them. And if he desires to save them. Then we owe him our obedience. To go. That his will might be done. And not our own. And it began to be the cry of the missionary movement that swept the entire world. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward 
of his suffering. And here Isaiah is faced with a lifetime of ministry. All of his political help and pull and tension and ability to escape the consequences of being a contrary man in an evil generation are gone. And he's faced with much of a dreary future in ministry. And the Lord shows him his glory. He says, who will go for me? Who will go for me? Who will go and proclaim my word to those whom I love and desire to save? Send me. And I say to you that if you would be the servant of the Lord and you would go in his name, then you must go for him. And if you would go for your children that you might tell them of the gospel, if you would raise them in the fear of the Lord, then you must go in his name. If you will go to love your wife and to serve her and love her as Christ loved the church and to be a godly man that would lead your home, you must go for the Lord. If you are going to love your husband and submit to him and respect him and honor him, you must go for the Lord because there will be so many days that your other per- that, that other person does not deserve your sacrifices. There will be many days that you will do what the Lord did When the Lord says, I have reared up children and they have despised me. I wonder how many of you, if you could raise your hand, don't. But if you could raise your hand, you could say, I invested into them, I poured into them, I loved them, I cared for them, and they spat it back in my face. You can't go for their sake. You can't go for your sake. You can't go to your workplace your sake. Did you know you can't even go to work for other people? Right? Paul tells servants, if you're going to go to work, serve as unto the Lord and not unto man. Right? Because you're going to get tired of those people. You're going to say, this boss is junk. I hate this guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. Right? He doesn't reward my faithfulness. I feel like I give more labor than I get in return. I don't like this guy. Go for the Lord. If you're going to be faithful, if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to serve Him, if you're going to do His will, if that's wiping your children's bottoms, if that's loving your spouse, if it's being an employee, if it's being an evangelist or missionary, whatever you're going to do, your goal must be higher than yourself or other people. It must be for the Lord because people will weary you and you will weary you and everything in this world will weary you. But if you see the Lord, then you can go for Him. Amen? Ben, if you would come. Can you play the key of G for me? We're going to have a moment to worship. You can come and you can do business with God in this altar and turn around in your chair. But I plead with you this morning that you would seek the Lord for a vision of His glory. That you would see the Lord. That you would cry out to Him and say, God, I've got to see you. I've got to see you. I've got to see your holiness. I've got to see that you're the King. I've got to see that you are worthy of my life. 
I'm going to see that you are worthy of my obedience, my faithfulness, and my sacrifice. Because my heart will grow weary in doing good. But if you show me your glory, I can endure. And I can be faithful. And I can rejoice. I can rejoice in suffering. For suffering produces patience, endurance, long-suffering. Lord, I can be faithful. I ask you this morning if you would call out to Him for help. Call out to Him for fresh joy and fresh life. Let Him minister to your heart this morning. Lord, have your way among us. Lord, come and speak to us. Come and humble us, Lord.